Hello and welcome to First Words, a spoken word performance event featuring a stellar lineup of South Australian First Nation writers. I would like to acknowledge that we are gathering on Ghana country and I pay my respects to Ghana elders past and present and elders here today. My name is Eduardo Crismani, and I'll be hosting this session. I grew up on Ghana country, but my heritage is Wiradjuri. I'm a filmmaker, musician, and writer, and I'm the coordinator of the South Australian First Nation Writers Group. This event features an incredible array of celebrated award-winning poets and some of the best emerging voices from our local community and has been supported by our friends in Writers SA. To begin, I welcome one of Australia's most renowned poets, Ali Cobham Eckerman. In 2013, I'll just give you a bit of a bio on Ali and then we can, yes. Um, in 2013, Ali Cobby Eckerman won the Kenneth Slesser Prize and Book of the Year New South Wales for Ruby Moonlight. In 2014, she attended the International Writing Program in Iowa City. She received a Wyndham Campbell Award for Poetry from Yale University in 2017 and was awarded a Literature Fellowship by the Australia Council of, for the Arts in 2018. Ali Copy Eckerman. Thank you, beautiful. Adelaide, Ghana country, the place where I was born. I too would like to acknowledge that we are on the beautiful lands of the Ghana people. Um, I'd like to pay respects to the spirit of this place, of all our language groups, of all of us in the crowd. I've been blessed that um, many of my Adopted Eckerman family are here. Some of my primary school teachers are here. It's been a wonderful journey. And um, I always feel a little overcome because um, it's well received in this state where, um, where I've lived most of my life. And that keeps alive my hope that things are changing. A whisper arrives, 2,000, 2,000 or more. Did you hear it? That bomb, the torture of red sand turning green, the anguish of earth turned to glass. Did you hear it? 2,000, 2,000 or more. Yams cremated inside the earth, poison trapped in glass like a museum. Did you hear it? 2,000, 2,000 or more. Tears we cried for our land, for the fear you gave us, for the sickness and the dying. 2,000 years of memory here. 2,000, 2,000 or more. Peaceful place, this place. Happy place till you come with your bombs. You stole our happiness with your poison ways. You stole our stories. 2,000, 2,000 or more. 
Our people gone missing. Did you hear it? Where's my grandfather? You seen him? Where's my daughter? You seen her? Mummy, you seen my mum? Dad! 2000, 2000 or more times I asked for truth. Do you know where they are? 2000, 2000 or more trees dead with arms to the sky, all the birds missing, no birdsong here, just stillness, like a funeral. 2000 or more. A whisper arrives. Did you hear it? It sounds like glass. Our hearts breaking. But we are stronger than that. We always rise, us mob. 2000, 2000 or more. You can't break us. We are not glass. We are people. 2000, 2000 or more. Our spirits come together. We make a heart. Did you see it in the fragments? It's there in the glass. 2000, 2000 or more. Our hearts grow as we mourn for our land. It's part of us. We love it, poisoned and all. There was movement in the station, for the word had been passed down, that the nation would not regret another day. And the politicians rallied, they would spend a million pounds, and the army would be central to the fray. All the clever thinking by the nation's highest men was rushed through legislation overnight. For the black man must be punished for his dirty, evil ways so little children can sleep safe at night. There was Howard at the forefront as he gathered up the reins, the old man with eyebrows made of steel. There were few who could deny him, now his mind was made up. He would command the army right where they must go. And Malbruff so easily came down to lend a hand, his conviction could only be admired. For never shall a child be raped while the intervention stands and every perpetrator will be found. Throughout the Northern Territory, the army did abound and camouflage was the colour of the day. All the men are guilty of such horrible abuse, although the many perpetrators were never found. Oh, these blackies are a cheeky lot. They won't tell us where they are. And there was anger in his quick, impatient mind and he found a man to lie about the dangers to the kids and the media broadcast it across the land. But still the search was empty, so Brough stripped back cultural laws because the secrecy of rape will never do. And anyone who questioned him would be standard in a day because the nature insists that rape must end. And all the First Nations people on this land did question why this punishment had come. We love our wives and kids and we aim to keep them safe and this secrecy you say is but a lie. Malbruff and Johnny Howard lost the vote and many Prime Ministers have con continued the ideal. A slow, a slow decline of First Nations rights continues every term 
and the slander of Amin is now set firm. And now another question is rising about the rape of a girl and the secrecy is now in the news. It's the politicians lying now in na newspapers and on screens, but the face of that rapist remains unseen. Can we send the army into Canberra to help us find the truth so the healing of the young girl can begin? And can the army keep the workplace safe for all our girls to shine without the risk of workplace rape? And can the army strip away the rights of lying politicians now, the ones who always cry for truth? Because the promise of a nation that can live without regret, without regret should be mirrored in the white man now. In response to the 14th Apology Day breakfast, how dare you celebrate my survival using fancy words as puffs of air to smokescreen the damage of my removal, the loss of being in my rightful place, removed from my mother's sweat wet chest, taken away from her blessing touch. I know my mother cried out loudly for me as robbers stole my first glimpse in the world from the love she held in her eyes for me. Did anyone listen or soothe my cry, that endless yearn that can't be satisfied? Was I punished as I mourned for her? Adoption at Kate Cox Baby Home was your answer. Cold steel cribs to hold babies that were not held the strict order to prevent attachment by staff. A precise design frame held the bottle to feed us. Two children in each cot to suckle rejection, rotated each end to strengthen our necks. Some women volunteer to reduce removal shock, to bottle feed anonymous on their laps. No one knows the baby's real names. Do you celebrate? My first emotion was grief. Don't acknowledge the newborn baby now. She's far too beautiful for you to hold. I want everyone here to consider that the Department of Child Protection is sponsoring the Apology Day Breakfast. Not once. Did they mention the name removal? The removal of our children is still happening. We have people working in hospitals and um, care facilities who have to suffer watching our children um, still being removed. It's a smoke screen to make us get used to child removal and I'm asking people to start boycotting the Apology Day breakfast because it's bullshit. Thank you, Ali. That was very emotional, wonderful and moving. That's what it's all about. Literature moves people activates people. 
So um, one of the things I, I do as a, the coordinator for the First Nations, SA First Nations Writers Network, is I take a photo. This is a beautiful opportunity, and I'm just going to do a one quick photo. And you all look beautiful because this is the right angle. The wrinkles disappear, the double chins go. And that goes on Facebook, you see, and then you go, wow. All right, so next is Celestine Rowe, is a Pintubi Luricha woman, originating from Papanya, Northern Territory, from a long line of musicians and artists. Celestine has traveled around Australia performing spoken word, sharing political, uplifting and inspiring words. Celestine Rowe. Just want to pay my respects to the elders of the land, past and present. I've got uh, several um, short poems to read. Global companies don't care about environment. They're flat out destroying it, then replacing it, acting like saviours, when in fact the damage they've caused can't be replaced. Once it started, it's hard to retract, like the gamut stuck stuff that exits their mouth, like they actually care for environment over money. That was one. <laughs> There were people here. I can feel their presence. There were people here. They're not no more. Their presence remains the same. Though the land has changed throughout the centuries, I feel their presence surrounding me, reminding me of a long time ago. Gone, but still present. So where I live at home, I've got trees in my back, like not in my backyard next door, and they're the same trees that we got at Bush. <laughs> so I wrote this poem about them. I like the stillness, I like the silence, the stillness in my room. My chair faces the trees and the, that sing to me in the wind. I close my eyes and I'm back on the red dirt, sitting under the trees, singing to me the way they do. I'm in the city. Here in suburbia, watching planes like they're shooting stars. We're in the desert where the trees sing to me the same. I close my eyes and return. Sweet western wind healing my spirit and too long I've been gone. Red dirt stains and country knows me. Certain familiarity. The surrounding atmosphere holds my inner self like a long lost child. I've returned to my mother, my country, Rompinya. Um. Reminders of country still stand today in places where cannot be touched. Beauty unbounded and hills stand watching as the land and its remains are scarred beyond recognition of the way she was born. Places of trees and untouched streams run through down to feed the lamb. 
that's ripped up, replaced, changed and erased. Wild rivers are caught and water is, water is given out in cups from the gatekeepers. Foods and secrets are discovered by invaders and taken over, becoming memories of how it used to be. Toxicity fills the belly of the mother. She's sick beyond recognition, a ghost of her former self. She cries. And thousands of souls are being ejected from earth, while those left are left pondering. Maybe she's beyond repair, and we have to watch her die as we watched those abuse her in front of our eyes. We stood silent on top of those untouched hills she kept for us to see the beauty, wondering how to save her now. It's got a little us um, poem. It's a um, quick one about um, I first moved to the city and things that I could see, wrote it in words in like little 20. I love this city, creating creativeness. Words, they flow from the gutters to the tips of the high-rise buildings. Artistic alleyways among stenched of heaped up rubbish, discarded by the rich as they fill up their hunger and ego in restaurants of gold. Thank you. Thank you, Celestine. That was lovely. All right, our next poet is Stephen Pappen. He's an Australian Barkindji man from the Mildura Riverine region, living and working on Ghana land. He is a well-traveled man with a passion for preserving land and languages. Languages have superpower. We need to use them wisely. That's what he says. Actually, today, let's not do the dig. <laughs> My people are the Parkani. We are the, the river people. I come from Muljura, basically where the Darling River meets the Murray River, the two great rivers in our country. Like we, we are river people. We have wood carving and other things, but Yirika is from north. It's actually not ours. My uncles learned this because most of our peoples were all put together a while ago. And basically things change. My name is Stephen Pappen and I'm gonna be giving an original prose poem called Things Change. Too nervous. Usually I do play better.
Uh, please excuse me, just reading the introduction I'm, I'm going to, to read. I'm, <laughs> I'm more of an introvert. Like, I'm, I am so honored and blessed to be in front of you all, but oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Things change. I used to think that people were a bed of flowers. A bed of flowers. Every color can be seen somewhere. Our pride puts us into rows. Our cultures are the unique patterns that are seen everywhere and all unique. The cross-pollinated blooms that you see around the edges of every line and curve are in a myriad of tones and textures. And every single flower, beautiful. <laughs> Things change. <laughs> now, sometimes, I see people as a flower bed. It's a pile of manure spread across the earth that some flowers push themselves out of. They are on their own and they have to fight to thrive. They have to push their head out of their origins. They have to overcome where they've come from to stand up and to, to rise. We all want to face the sun, we all want to lift up, but we all have to rise. Wherever you're from, you do this on your own. My family tree, well, I do not come from a tree. My family is a rose bush. It is an interwoven hedge. With, it bears some beautiful, unique flowers, but they're surrounded by pricks. <laughs> uh, my heritage, my, my ancestors came to Australia, and my, my family name came to Australia 120 years ago from a reservation in the Americas. Um, Papin, it's a French name. Uh, the Hozaze people were colonized by the French. So I'm, my great, 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 my very great ancestor was, he was an indigenous American person. English was not his first language. When he got on the boat, he would have been a Native American with a very thick French accent. And it's only Australia where they would have, would have accepted him as a British man. Can you imagine? He got off the boat at customs. Name, Alessandro Papin. What? Alessandro Papin. Papin, Papin. Papin? Oui, oui, Alessandro Papin. Where are you from? We are the Ingoris. Ingoris. The what? Yeah, right, mate, just go on. <laughs> It's, we, things change. <laughs> Apparently I'm British. <laughs> but for better and for worse, 
my ancestors had to deny their heritage, had to abandon the old world so that they could make a new life in the new country. So now I'm British. <laughs> I'm not French and Indian, I'm British. But then they married British, Scottish, and then my paternal grandmother was a Parakani woman. And that's the place I grew up in Muldura, Victoria, the countryside which is New South Wales. You might have heard of Mungo, uh, Mungo National Park, like the, the Mungo Man was pretty famous. That's my ancestors, that's my grandmother's people. I am Parakani. But in, in English script, like we call Barkinji because they don't have the retroflex sounds. You can't pronounce the words correctly. Like Karna is Ghana. It's, we don't have the same sounds and that's, that's just how it is. Things change. So I'm very happy to be here. I'm, it's, it's an honor to be part of this group of people. <laughs> Thank you. I'm one of the thousand shades of miscegenation and it doesn't matter whether you believe that that you're one of the the many beautiful flowers over the world or whether you have whether you feel you have had to fight to rise up we are all here together much love and respect people thank you Wow, Steve, beautiful, thank you. All right, now, then, speaking of beautiful, Mandy Brown is a, and you'll, Mandy is a Perma, Permanc, Naranji was senior woman who has been involved in poetry and short story writing since a child. Her involvement with the ATSI literary community is respected, and although largely unpublished, her works are in high demand for events around NADOC and Reconciliation Week, particularly in schools and community events as a preferred way of communicating and educating the wider community. Ladies and gentlemen, Mandy Brown. Oh, thank you all for coming and to those who are also with us in spirit here today. Um, not doing my Aboriginal poetry today, or so-called Aboriginal poetry. I'm reading other poet, poems that I've written for other reasons. And the first two I wrote for a gentleman who has passed away now, Jacques Orthoff, who was an Austrian artist who did some wonderful um, impressionism of the Australian landscape and I hadn't met him but a friend rang me up and said could you write some poetry to go with his art that he wants to take to an exhibition in Austria and I did and I wrote five poems for him so these are two of them but I asked him not to translate because I'm a big believer in lost in translation so this one's about Uluru and I had never been there I have since but from what Jacques was telling me over the phone and never having met him or seen his artwork, just speaking to another artist, I could um, get the essence of Uluru 
and this is what I wrote. An age monolith spinster thirsts, shrouded in dusty red sheets that camouflages the etchings of wrinkles which she proudly displays on ordinary days when the isobars are distanced like arch enemies and the sun forces electric heat on the Australian landscape, she waits, focusing her energy as if magnetised by essentially nothing and yet everything to that barren land. Sun will exude her most fierce impression to that which she can caress without fear of harming, jealously keeping the rain clouds at bay for her vanity to shine and only the privileged few who make the pilgrimage can witness this harsh infatuation as heaven and earth expose their naked mirage of passion. This one is about my favourite part of the landscape, the ocean. Cuttlefish nails scratch across Oceana's back, creating her to toss on her bed Casting off her jewellery, it litters the edge of her frilled duvet and picked up like trinkets for imaginative play by people who know the dreams of Neptune that lie in wait and prey on sad souls who walk its perimeter. Treasures deposited by a mass of blues and greys in alternating seasons, unwanted rejected shrapnel that once sustained life, gathered now in weathered palms, hustled home in car boots by folk with tingling skin and sandy toes. Reincarnate Oceana, a visual display tempting tactile notions, reminiscences of childlike play return to me vividly as the scent of her envelops me. Uh, this one's about uh, my teenage years in the 70s getting into Jules nightclub called Disco Dolls. Close eyes, bleeding mascara onto sallow complexions that never know sunlight after all night discos and too much Bacardi. Irrepressible lust, an abstract conversation accumulated from too much dope as miniskirts and halter tops become foreplay de rigueur to GTS Monaro back seats. Eight cylinders, lethal weapons to young girls, naive to the savage youth dance of hunt and conquest but easy prey for a couple of dollars and a few rounds. This one's about domestic violence. Not domestic, pretty feral. Inane comments from monkey-trained checkout chicks with too much makeup and not enough sincerity. Rote manners, never expressing genuine concern. Uh, how are you today? As I look to the scanner instead of my bruised face, too anonymous to bring sympathy, I walk off with the necessary aspro in hand, with an unsure, have a nice day, shrilling to my eardrums. I ignore it, because I know I bloody well won't. Thank you, Mandy. Beautiful, funny, engaging, emotional, awesome. Next poet is Dominic 
Guerrera, and he's a Naranjerian Ghana person and works as an Aboriginal health educator. Dominic is a poet, podcaster, and co-farmer of Sovereign Soil Farms. You've seen him a lot in the Life magazine. He's getting so much press, it's unbelievable. <laughs> Dominic Guerra. Uh, thank you for gathering unlawfully on my land. <clears throat> it's often said that we as Aboriginal people live within two worlds. This is not true. We live in a state of colonization. I was invited by a white person to come here today and welcome you to my country, but that won't be happening because to be frank, you're not welcome. You've overstayed your self-imposed welcome and we're fed up with you and your colony. We are fed up with your destructive and murdering ways. We've had enough. It's gone on for too long that even the land is rejecting you. If our lives matter and they do, then, then your presence is no longer needed because no matter what scenario of reconciliation or cohabitation is proposed, we are always the ones that pay the heavy cost, and usually it's with our lives. If we all bleed the same color, then why is it us who are always the ones bleeding? And I'm sick of bleeding, because we are sick and bleeding. How about instead of country, we welcome you to the poverty and the disparity, the instability that echoes through our lives because of your disruption? I wholeheartedly welcome you to dying 10 years younger or trying on a spit hood, suffocating, as the police cuffs you and slides you into a paddy hearse. Please feel welcome to all the diseases, infections, chronic illness, disability and injuries brought on by your racism, not because of our race. They are here, they're waiting for you. Come collect them. Acknowledge the privilege of being able to gather in public spaces, uninterrupted by the colony or its forces. Because when white people drink in parklands, they call it a festival. But when black people drink in parklands, they call the cops. And when Aboriginal people, oh sorry, the disruption of our gatherings is a deliberate attempt to sever our connection to land and with each other but it's time to imagine and bring forth a future that doesn't center this continent on white lies. And until then, you are unwelcome. All right, uh, this, I don't really like audience participation, but I'm gonna require of all the white people in the audience today. And so when I, you know, I'm going to clap, and then I want you to clap with me, and when I go like this, I want you to stop. And uh, you, you can count this as part of the rent that you owe Ghana Nation, but only for one week. All right. All right, hold on, the wind's blowing here. <laughs> so this poem's called The Reconciliation Clap Along. And doesn't it feel good? I mean, this is what unity sounds like. It feels good, it sounds good. 
Your existence on this land is an extension of your ancestors' invasion, rape, and murder of our people. Colonizer. All right, come on, let's clap. <laughs> clap along with me. I also want to see you all smiling. Can you smile for me? I mean, this is really good. This is the reconciliation clap along. Every clap closes a gap. Yeah? All right. Since the Royal Commission into Deaths in Custody, there have been over 460 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people murdered by the colony in police cells, in prisons, and while being detained and arrested. That's about 15 funerals a year. And that's not even counting the thousands of other funerals that we've had to attend. Their deaths caused by the oppression and racism that we face on a daily basis. Colonizer. All right, come on, clap along with me. Isn't this great? This sounds so deadly, doesn't it? I mean, if we can keep this up, we can have these claps reverberate all the way to Canberra, because that's what we need. We need a voice to Parliament. I mean, because that's going to solve everything, hey? we just got to be heard. Not only do you continue to destroy our sacred sites, but you deliberately attack the ones sacred to our women and their fertility. Like your forced sterilization, these are acts of genocide. Colonizer. All right, one more time, come on. Colonizer, 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 colonizer. Thank you. Wow, Dominique, rocking the house for that. Jeez. Awesome, man. All right, and now our star for the, the final poet for today. Natalie Harkin is a Narunga woman and poet from South Australia. She works at Flinders University with an interest in decolonizing state archives, currently engaging in archival poetic methods to research and document Aboriginal women's domestic service and labour histories in South Australia. Her books include Dirty Words by Cordite Books and Archival Poetics by Vagabond Press. Natalie Harkin. Thank you. I um, also want to acknowledge beautiful Ghana country. Um, our elders, past, present, emerging, all the children, beautiful children in the audience, um, my family. Um, also that this part of our country that we're standing on is a really important, sacred place for Ghana people. Uncle Lewis O'Brien tells us that this was a um, very important Ghana site that was quarried at the point of first colonial contact here. So the quarry, that's why it dips down 
is the uh, the walls to um, Government House, the Migration Museum, the Destitute Asylum, the First Ghana School, and also the other sacred site up the hill, the big cathedral, which the irony is not lost on Ghana people on whose sacred sites are most honoured and protected. Um, I'm going to start with an invitation and then a very long rant. Archive fever paradox. My blood, it pumps where hearts have stopped. Witness memory missing. It's what you overlook in the gaps, the cracks, the in-between silences, which are often the most revealing. That's a quote from Judy Watson in Blood Language 2009. RSVP, this is an invitation. Bear witness to memory work, to chilling, intimate snapshots, to collected, collective lives, to extraordinary acts of surveillance, to social policy experimentation, to histories of silence and forgetting, to dispossession, to colonial amnesia preservation. This is an invitation extended. Bear witness to rewriting the local, to small rupturing, rupturing contributions, to larger counter-narratives, to multiple ways of sharing the load and to surviving it all. To open up beyond what you know, to get messy, to wash the blood from your hands, to prepare your body well to receive visitors. Nothing will be easy when you arrive. Please accept. Dirty Words was written in 2015 and in 2020 I considered five years on and I wondered how many more dirty words would it take to pen a dystopian cautionary tale for our children who are destined to remember today's leaders as negligent, bigoted and unhinged. What words could express the motivations of such leaders who proclaim a how good is Australia love for nation? A carefully crafted land of sweeping plains brand of love that would also poison our aquifers, condone unregulated water theft and justify corporate upriver wars for extractions and flows while parched horizons sear and warp in the sun. What words to fathom the reckless logic behind such a violent love that would frack, drill and extinguish protected lands for uranium, gas, oil and yield to Adani's offshore conglomerate carbon emitting, aquifer draining, reef dredging coal mine. For how good are Australians who are not afraid of coal? When the land is our body, what words could possibly carry the unrelenting grief, trauma and, and unwavering political will of traditional owners as whole mountains and plains and sacred sites continue to be sliced, carved, ignited to progress such a colossal, deep, wounding, open-cut open mine? How many more dirty words would it take to overcome the force of fake news that sustains a perfect storm of colonising greed, corruption and human-induced climate change denialism? As our planet heats up and fire fronts intensify and sea levels rise, what words could shine vital light on vulnerable lives unseen, demeaned and bear witness to their climate-induced flight? 
There are no words to fathom the slippery minds of those unconscionable leaders who plant colonising flags to conquer small island nations in the name of border protection, phosphate mining, military expansion, asylum seeker detention. These leaders gather at Pacific Island forums, enforce mock solutions to self-generated problems, offend their way through climate emergency negotiations and circumnavigate survival theory on a float of tall ships to grow Western economies while island homes ebb and flow to fade. They will continue to survive because many of their workers come here and pick our fruit. And, and then he laughs, time doesn't mean anything when you're about to have water lapping at your door. What words could respectfully hold, hold space for country? Beloved lands, waters, spirits, skies, to carry culture and law and epic beauty forward so future generations will know a once upon a time perfectly balanced, magnificent web of life. Such epic beauty under siege might best be conjured from the perspective of fish small, spotted and swift, or giant elders of the deep, gliding strong and quiet, carving rivers as stories and stories as rivers, feeding and glistening and spawning new life. Old river red gums carrying centuries of stories lean in to witness as fish thrash wildly at their roots, chasing stagnant shallows through algal blooms toward a slow, gentle float. They rest, finally in their millions with layers of riverbank sediment transformed to hot dried clay. The mighty old trees bearing floodwater stains recognise massacre and drop limbs under a weight of despair. As lifelines give way to a thirsty, greedy chain of water thieving infrastructure, our elders seek reflections of home and weep. Their, emb their embodied and generous wise counsel, scorned and rejected yet again, like an Uluru statement from the heart. And when corporate magnates undermine access to clean water as a fundamental human right, so domestic taps run putrid in shades of cloudy to black, what words sufficiently hold space for humanity? Such epic beauty under siege might also be conjured by a country town's public notice boil water alert. Water used for drinking or food preparation should be brought to a rolling boil to make it safe. Children should take bottled water or cool bo boiled water to school. Walgett, New South Wales. Children must avoid swallowing water or getting water up their nose when showering, bathing or playing with water. Udnadatta, South Australia. Boiling the arsenic poisoned town water will not make it safe to drink and bottled water should be used for drinking, food preparation, making ice, cleaning teeth and gargling. Urala, New South Wales. As the country burns bone dry and anxious remote communities on the climate crisis front line shout loud to be heard as they have done for centuries, governments, governments create turbidity, bacteria, salinity market solutions through water carting, commercial water bottling, and desalination techno-fixing so townships across the land might just stay afloat. While ministers for How Good Is Australia continue to mine, damn, deny, the masses are stirring. Our children are thirsty. 
and clever, and their collective rage will not be siphoned and contained as they take to the streets to rally hearts and minds, for these profit-before-planet leaders have declared war on their future, gifting a legacy of heavy burdens for small shoulders to carry. If pens are mightier than swords, what class action of words could further mobilise justice to carry their load and trigger rights-led action to hold such madness accountable? What lasting impression on the present-day record will raise compassionate leadership and transform such dystopian realities into peaceful, loving, healthful, healthy and hopeful futures? What words further honour sovereign knowledge holders who know what survival looks, feels, tastes like? Those who have, protected, who have protested for justice through cycles of trauma from the point of first colonial contact, who can intimately read country to restore balance for time immemorial. That is the legacy every child deserves. An infinity of words can lovingly dream the world anew, but these dirty words could never be enough. Thank you. Far out. Unbelievable. Um, really moving. Natalie, that's awesome. And I hope all of you hearing this um, helps you with the understanding, the power of first words, and us all having a voice and being able to speak. Um, would all the poets like to stand up in front of the stage so I can get everyone to say thank you? Please. Thank you for joining us today. Please well thank all of our poets, Mandy Brown, Ali Kobiekerman, Natalie Harkin, Dominic Gura, Stephen Pappen, and Celestine Rowe. You are magnificent. Thank you, guys. And thank you to Writers SA, Jessica, you are amazing. Love you, you're just the best. For your support to Adelaide Writers Week, for hosting us, and to our wonderful Auslan interpreters. Give them. Thank you all for making this, and thank you for all coming here. Have a lovely day. Cheers. <laughs>